Welcome to Helping Challenging Children. This podcast is for adults who want to understand why children behave the way they do and how to support them to increase their ability to self-regulate and to become more independent. My name is Dr. Pat McGuire. I'm a developmental and behavioral pediatrician who and I have been working with these children for over 30 years, and I can tell you that with the right support, they all do great. So enjoy these podcasts, and hopefully you learn a little bit each time. Greetings. Today I'm going to talk about ACEs, obesity, and type 2 diabetes. Adverse childhood experiences, which are known as ACEs, occur in the vast majority of children by the time they are 18. This is increasingly true when you add in experiences such as natural disasters, unsafe neighborhoods, and bullying. ACEs are a major indicator for adult life problems such as chronic physical and mental health disorders. The original ACE study looked at three categories, abuse, neglect, and family dysfunction. These categories altogether had 10 factors, which included physical abuse, sexual abuse, verbal abuse, physical neglect, emotional neglect, a family member who is depressed or diagnosed with other mental illnesses, a family member who is addicted to alcohol or another substance, a family member who is in prison, witnessing a mother being abused, or losing a parent to separation, divorce, or death. So these were the first 10 factors that were looked at. But since then, many other factors have been found to also be important. These are racism, gender discrimination, witnessing a sibling being abused, witnessing a father being abused by a mother, being bullied by a peer or adult, being involved in the foster care system, living in a war zone, living in an unsafe neighborhood, or losing a family member to deportation or other reason. These adverse effects can start from conception and continue forward till death. When you start at conception, you might initially have what's called generational or historical trauma. This is trauma and it's how the generations then respond to the life around them. There can be social conditions and local context that add stress to a person. And then you get the adverse childhood experiences that come most likely because of the other layers of stress and adversity. After the ACEs are disruptive neurodevelopmental issues that affects learning, which is called cognitive skills, and social emotional skills, and mental health skills. And then you have adoption of high risk health behaviors, which could be uh, how you eat, uh, alcohol, um, risky behaviors like cutting or um, daredeviling. And as you go higher up on the risk level, you have disease and disability and social problems, such as Uh, high blood pressure, heart problems, cholesterol problems, strokes, and then finally you end up with early death. And so it's very important that we take these 
early situations, these early experiences and create change around them. If we don't, then things are just gonna continue going bad for everybody. What is not listed as an ACE would be low socioeconomic class or status, which is SES. And so it's not an ACE by itself. This is because some parents have many strengths and areas of resilience that can buffer the child from the effects of distresses in the world. But a low SES is a risk factor for ACEs because low income leads to home and food insecurity, which also leads to other risks for adverse experiences. We already know that one child in six lives in poverty. That means that the child's access to high quality preschool is limited, and this can delay their academic skills when they begin their K-12 education. Low-income children also are more likely to attend low-income schools, which don't have the same resources as schools in wealthier neighborhoods. What I'm gonna focus on for the rest of this podcast is how so many of these children end up obese, with a large number of them also developing type two diabetes while still under 18 years of age. ACEs have a significant role in this, but so does the lack of healthy food, and safe places to get physical activity and feel safe. According to the State of America's Children 2021, published by the Children's Defense Fund, one child in seven lives in what's called a food insecure household. This means that not everyone has enough to eat each day. This is not due to the parents not working since 61% of the parents were in the workforce and still couldn't afford food and 51% had at least one of the parents working full time. Most of these parents are being paid the federal minimum wage, which at 725 doesn't cover even one person working 40 hours a week. That person before taxes would be getting $1,257 a month. Well, by the time you take out rent, and that's you know after taxes, you don't have a lot left. If you're doing a family on that, you definitely don't have enough. Even at $15 an hour, it would bring it up to $2,600 a month, which would barely make it. And that is if there are no children and so no childcare for which one child is at least $1,100 a month currently in most states. And it's higher for, for infants than it is for preschoolers. So these parents would be uh, economically challenged still, even if they got $15 an hour, because half of their monthly wages would be going just to childcare if they only had one child. Parents want to keep their children fed, but they don't feel as if they have enough money or time to make nourishing meals. Many of them have to catch public transportation to get themselves and their children to childcare or school. At school, if the children qualify, they may get free breakfast or at least free and reduced lunches, but they may not get dinner. And then there are the needs for the weekends, vacations, and summer. There are some programs out there for these kids, but only about one in seven are able to take advantage of the, these programs due to issues of getting back to school to get the meals. There are parents who would be willing to cook nutritious meals, but they don't have access to grocery stores. They live in what are called food deserts. 
These are common in areas such as small populations, like where I live. I live in a small town of not quite 1,500 people. The nearest grocery store is 10 miles away. I only have access to it since I have a car. There is, are no other means to get there. Luckily, I can afford to drive there when I need groceries, or even further if I want more variety of groceries. People of low income may not have these options. High rates of abandoned or vacant homes are also an area where you're gonna find food deserts. For that, consider many of the inner city neighborhoods, the urban areas. They may not have uh, a grocery store for many miles, uh, just like I have, except they're in the middle of an urban setting. Also, residents who have lower levels of education, lower income, and higher rates of unemployment will find that they live in food deserts too. And part of that is if the residents can't afford to go to the store, what merchant wants to open up a store there? So without this access, families end up buying what they can from neighborhood convenience stores. I remember seeing many children in my practice who would be eating jerky or sweet rolls when they were picked up on the way to the appointments since the children couldn't make it to school in time for breakfast. The question you should be asking right now is, are they getting enough nutrition? Unfortunately, the answer is no. Since most of what they are eating are highly processed foods, which are called UPFs. And quite often they're getting that both at school and at home. UPFs are those that are ready to eat or ready to heat industrial formulations made mainly from ingredients that have been extracted from whole food, after which additives and other chemicals have been added. They have very little of the whole food they started with by the time they're done. What the consumer is left with is a large volume of salt, sugar, and fat, but very little in terms of fiber, protein, vitamins, or minerals except for what has been added back in. A study published in JAMA, the food consumption of children ages two to 19, through the years 1999 to 2018, and this was published in 2019, and they found that 67% of our children's energy or calories are coming from UPFs, ultra-processed foods. Healthy nutrition is whole foods, which have within them naturally complex carbohydrates, not ultra processed like in cookies, breads, and noodles. They have protein, fiber, vitamins, and minerals. These whole foods are more filling than the processed foods so the children don't feel hungry again as soon after eating. Since they're not high in fats, salt, and simple sugars, they're less addictive so the kids don't tend to crave and overeat them. This overdependence on UPFs has led to an epidemic of obesity in children and to the development of type 2 diabetes while still in school. This then sets them up for the known complications of high blood pressure, high cholesterol and other lipids, and from there, problems with kidneys, eyes, and heart disease, and a much shorter lifespan than their parents or grandparents. 
It is not just the nutrition which makes these kids vulnerable to obesity and type 2 diabetes. Looking back at the ACEs, it is known that stress and trauma triggers our bodies to release cortisol. From that, the body uses it in its fight or flight response. Our bodies are geared towards short-term releases of this body chemical, but children experiencing ACEs don't have a normal lowering of their blood cortisol levels. This then puts more stress on their body with increased insulin being pumped into the body, causing more storage of carbohydrates and fat in the abdominal area of the body. The result is more stress on the organs in the abdomen and also in the heart. The chronic stress with poor nutrition also negatively affects cognitive skills for school and mental health with a rise in anxiety and depression. Now comes my call to action to you. These children need your help both within our homes and those who are members of our community. Education on nutrition as well as availability of healthy foods is needed. Here are some things that you can help with. Support starting early training of children and their parents about good nutrition. By teaching the children also, the knowledge will be there when they have to make their own nutritional choices. These classes and discussions can be part of a preschool curriculum and part of each grade from K to 12. Work with food banks to have more minimally processed foods and fresh produce that parents are also given recipe ideas for which can be for raw produce or easy ways to cook. Work with childcare and schools to have higher nutritional quality food. Encourage retail stores, especially convenience stores and fast food stores to have more nutritious food. Work with local governments to find funding which supports grocery stores opening up in food deserts. This can also then be a possible source of employment for people in the neighborhood. Advocate for additional support programs for at-risk families that address food and home insecurity, mental health problems, and financial insecurity. We have to work together since one child in six are going to be lost in terms of having happy, productive adult lives if they don't get the emotional and nutritional support they need. I look forward to you joining others to help our neighbors.